After leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed, sick with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons. He didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, Everyone's looking for you. He replied, Let's head in the other direction, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Urban Grace. I hope you'll pray with me before we begin. Healing God, Spirit of Peace, help us to redefine what we will do with health and wholeness. Amen. Many of you know me as someone who tells stories, some of them true, some of them not. And um, I am fairly smart, fairly well-educated, spent a lot of time in graduate school, um, and so I can safely say that what I'm about to tell you is probably not at all anywhere in in anyone's mind, research-based, factual, and uh, theologically correct. But it is also my real experience of the goodness of the universe and the God and the spirit that resides therein. So I will tell you these things and hope that you will be gracious with me about them. Uh, I was reading this scripture among friends in a safer space and one of my colleagues was very sweet and admitted that she bristles every time she hears this story because the character who is healed jumps up and immediately begins to serve. And that would have been historically a woman's prerogative or mandate or personhood and role to do that. And it caused me to think about why I too bristle. I just, I, I snarl and I make this face like, really? Is that really what she wanted to do? Today I want to ask her, was she actually feeling much better? 
I, when I'm recovering from an illness, from a fever, I don't want to jump right up and help somebody. Moreover, I don't want healing to mean that I'm restored to the same spot that I was in before, the same identity and the same role in my community. I want it to mean that I'm rescued magically, swept out of all the trappings that caused all of my pain and suffering and illness. Boom, done. So then um, I thought of a poem that I stumbled on 25 years ago when I was a very cheeky teenager. It's called Monet Refuses the Operation. It's fantastic because uh, Monet was an impressionist painter who didn't paint things the way that a realist painter would have painted them. So everything was kind of blurry and beautiful and full of light. And this poem was written to describe the uh, rebellion against that realism and those stark lines and defined shapes. Um, it was written by a woman whose family fled Nazi Germany when she was 15 years old. And the spirit in the poem is such <clears throat> that Monet describes, I do not want you to correct my vision. Do not attempt to fix my eyes uh, maybe it's a medical condition, you know, maybe it's cataracts, maybe it's something like that, but I really, it took me a long time to accept this moment and this perspective and to really embrace it. And I love it. And I don't want you to take that away from me. And so I thought about whether or not this woman in the story would have refused healing if she had known it would return her to servitude. And then I realized I was really hating on Jesus at this point. I was really interpreting that the Christ figure, the healer in the scripture, would do something like this. Would walk into someone's home, really needing a sandwich, and say to whoever's lying in bed, uh, I need you to get up and make me a sandwich, so I'm going to heal your fever, so you can do that for me. And that doesn't exactly fit with other stories or experiences of Jesus. So, you know, I'm not sure if this is all in line with systematic theology, but it's really how I feel. On my way to healing, I don't want to be corrected and returned to the place that I was before. I think Jesus probably could know that. I do. I don't assume Jesus will heal us so that we will do the things we don't want to do or be the things we don't want to be. I don't assume Jesus' abilities are so self-serving. Moreover, I don't believe that Jesus heals in order to prop up the patriarchy. I just cannot do that. It's not the Jesus I know. The one I know is the kind that would sit with Mary and Martha and let each of them go about their own way and be recorded as describing this sort of thing. The Jesus I know is the kind that says, um, Abigail, what do you want to do? Because it's going to cost you a lot to figure out who you are. 
And I think you'll find healing on the way and everything will look different. Healing is not narrowly defined in the scriptures. It's defined by the one who's restored. I really believe that's how it should be, that that's one component of healing, that when you really are fully returned and restored, you know yourself and your goals and your purpose so much better. Doctor, you say there are no halos around the streetlights in Paris. And what I see is an aberration caused by old age and affliction. I tell you it has taken me all my life to arrive at the vision of gas lamps as angels, to soften and blur and finally banish the edges you regret I don't see, to learn that the line I called the horizon does not exist and sky and water so long apart are the same state of being. 54 years before I could see Rouen Cathedral is built of parallel shafts of sun. And now you want to restore my youthful errors, fixed notions of top and bottom, the illusion of three-dimensional space, wisteria separate from the bridge it covers. What can I say to convince you the houses of parliament dissolve night after night to become the fluid dream of the Thames? I will not return to a universe of objects that don't know each other as if islands were not the lost children of one great continent. The world is flux and light becomes what it is touches, becomes water, lilies on water, above and below water, becomes lilac and mauve and yellow and white and cerulean lamps, small fists passing sunlight so quickly to one another that it would take long streaming hair inside my brush to catch it, to paint the speed of light our weighted shapes, these verticals, burn to mix with air and change our bones, skin, clothes to gases. Doctor, if only you could see how heaven pulls earth into its arms and how infinitely the heart expands to claim this world blue vapor without ends. This month, we are celebrating the Saints of Black History. We're also going to celebrate the Lunar New Year. And St. Valentine's Day. These are all chances to stop and think about corrections that we would make to the vision of history of personhood, of love. I find myself asking whether or not I would correct Dr. King's vision, whether or not I would tell a, a 
millions of people that the moon is not a powerful, lovely thing to see and celebrate. Or if I would correct someone who wants to celebrate love, even though it is rare and fleeting in so many places. I don't think I could wish away Dr. King's dream. I don't think I would erase dragon dancers just because we don't know whether dragons are fact or fantasy. I don't think I would correct the impulse to give flowers and chocolates to someone I care about. Not if that's at the core of who and what we could be if we are healed. This woman, this woman was healed and she immediately got up and served them. It's not a mandate to behave as she did. It's an account of one woman's return to her full self. It's an invitation to wonder, what will you do with your healing?